In this episode of The Value Podcast, Hakeem interviews Patrick Thompson, owner of Patrick Thompson Design, a design and architectural firm located in the heart of Detroit. Listen as they go deep into Patrick's journey of becoming one of the most noteworthy designers in the city and how creating culture within his company plays a major role in success. Welcome to the Detroit Small Business Podcast. I'm here today with my esteemed guest, Mr. Pat Thompson of Pat Thompson Design. Pat? Patrick. Patrick. Oh, you don't yeah, like Pat? That's not really. He calls it, that's how you were introduced to me. Gotcha. But uh, I think I went through a bit of a transition after high school. I graduated from Pat to Patrick. I went back to I like that. You know what? I think that's a good flow at the start of the interview. Yeah. So what, why did that transition? Uh, I think, well, my dad was Pat. Okay. You know, and, uh, you know, my, I, I don't know. You know, I, my dad was Pat. I was always Patrick in my family. I think my friends called me Pat when I was young. Okay. Um, but when I moved, I originally went to Western Michigan University, mm-hmm. and um, and then when I after I completed my uh, schooling there, I still wasn't quite sure what to do, so I ended up moving to Chicago, and that was like my chance to. I guess reinvent myself as Patrick. It seemed a little bit more sophisticated. And I like the business that I was going into, I, you know, I had left a little bit, a lot of what I had done in after high school. I was going into historic preservation, preserving historic buildings, but I had a strong carpentry background. Okay. And uh, on the job side, I was always Pat. And then when I was transforming, tra- transforming myself into more of a, I guess, professional position, Patrick, seemed to make sense. So. I like that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's super, super interesting. Yeah. So let's, let's go back a little bit into childhood. What sure. part of Michigan are you from? So um, I was originally from New Baltimore, which is a, on the east side, Macomb County. So it's like right yeah. on Anchor Bay, like Lake St. Clair area. Um, my mother was from Massachusetts. My father was from Michigan. They met and my dad convinced her to leave the insanely beautiful East Coast, <laughs> the Midwest. Um, so from a young age, that was, I guess, uh, early American architecture, um, just like the, the the deep East Coast roots was just ingrained in me because we were always going back to that area. And then, you know, I had a mother, both my, my father was a um, very talented artist, so he was a sculptor, a cabinet maker, a furniture maker, um, amazing painter, and then my mom was this phenomenal collector, um, self-proclaimed art historian who since has gone on to become a professor of art history. So from a young age I was taught to really appreciate not only the built environment but just material culture things. Just you know I always they've always collected antiques and I kind of inherited that that mm-hmm. appreciation for all things, whether it's sculpture, whether it's um, architecture, just always had a really strong admiration for those things that it, it came from that. That's awesome. Um, so I heard a story about kind of when the, 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 the light bulb kind of came on that you wanted to kind of get into the architecture space back when you were in high school and it involves your mom. Yes. I, I'm not sure exactly. It's funny because I, I probably, this story probably changes somewhat, but really the, <laughs> the main um, underlying theme is really my parents had, my mom and my stepfather were building a house in Rochester. We were moving from New Baltimore and they built this house that was, um, it was a new build, but it was a hundred percent reproduction of a house in Savannah, Georgia, called the Pink House. And we, you know, my my mother was very involved in the design of that house and the decorating. And I, of course, started putting in my two cents at a fairly early age. I was still in high school at the time. Um, and then 
So it really, like at that point, I, I think I was struggling between historic preservation, hotel resort management. I, I really wasn't sure what to do, but I started noticing a little bit of a theme that I really was just drawn to, to aesthetics, you know? Um, and then really, and I think what maybe you're talking about, so my parents, uh, I worked for a carpentry company and my parents hired that company to do the basement of the house and it was a quite an undertaking and it was a, uh, a large-scale basement, you know, but we included a movie theater, a bar, a lounge, a game area, wow. and um, that was really kind of my first foray into it. I really helped with all of the space planning, the selecting of all the finishes, all of the lighting, all of the furniture, and it was, it was a little bit of a light bulb went off at that time. I think, I'm trying to remember, the years, you know, once you start getting up there, they start to blend together. Mm -hmm. But at that point is when I had made the decision to go back to college and pursue a, a degree in interior design. Um, I couldn't decide if it was architecture or interior design, but once I really started studying the, the courses and the course descriptions, interior design really spoke to me, especially with, there's a large technical component of it that people don't understand with building systems, with detailing, with millwork details. And because I had been working as a carpenter, um, and you know, I had worked on both the rough carpentry and the finished carpentry side, so I had really been exposed to kind of all levels of um, different detail, different levels of detail. Gotcha. That's yeah. super, super cool. Yeah. Then why, why did you? I know you said you made the decision to do interior design college. Yeah. Why did you just why did you decide on Western Michigan? So Western was where I did historic preservation. Okay, so, so you graduated. started there. I started there. I graduated with a degree in historic preservation. I was restoring some historic homes in Kalamazoo, and um, these radiators are going to go off right now. I'm never no big. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I wasn't sure what to do, so I went back to that same company in Detroit. I left Kalamazoo, came back to Detroit, was working as a carpenter, and that was really kind of when I I knew that I had to figure out exactly what my path was going to be. Gotcha. And the school that I had heard about it, I mean, I swear, it probably was back in the day when like these infomercials were on and stuff, and I read this, I, I heard this advertisement about Harrington College of Design, so I started looking into them, and it was in Chicago, and I was ready for a change, you know, I hadn't left Michigan really other than going to Calumet, you know, I never left like Detroit, so, um, and this school was in this, it was in the Chicago Fine Arts Building, it had this beautiful romantic past where it was next door to the Louis Sullivan Theater, like right by, by Millennium Park, by the Art Institute. And uh, Frank Lloyd Wright apparently had his first office there when he was moonlighting, when he was working for Louis Sullivan. So it had this just very beautiful, inspiring, romantic story. And then when I ordered all the courses, it was still back in the day where you, you didn't even go online, like literally, you ordered the like the information packet, the course catalog, and I was reading all the, I was just reading it, it just, it really, it just really spoke to me. So I went and toured it. I went with my a friend, and I think my my stepfather took me and went and toured the building. And it was this gorgeous historic building on Michigan Avenue. And there was a violin maker up on one of the floors, and it had this really beautiful atrium. So you were walking through this historic building with the story, listening to this violin play maker like you know, like test the violins he's working mm -hmm. on. And, I don't know, it just, it just felt really right. So, um, and my stepfather had gone to college in Chicago and he always spoke highly of it. And I knew that I loved Detroit and I knew this is where I always wanted to be eventually. Um, but I just felt like I had to go somewhere else for a while and kind of just be in a different environment, you know, get away from my 
just the same the same group of people that I have. Uh, so it's I'm always good to change it up a little yeah. bit. You, especially yeah. when you go in and see something else. Sure. Fresh set of eyes. Yeah, and plus that's such a Chicago is such a mecca of architecture. You know, not only does it have such a strong um, kind of uh, it's like a melting pot of just so much great traditional architecture, but then you had all the stuff from Frank Lloyd Wright happening there and Mies van der Rohe, you know, the, the the master of the glass skyscraper, he had done everything there. So really there was just, a, and I was really, with the homes that we were building, when I was working as a carpenter, we'd work on some beautiful traditional homes, but we were doing some really great modern homes as well too. So I was really kind of getting uh, attracted to that and kind of just starting to hone my own personal style early on, even before school. That's so, awesome. Chicago is actually one of my personal, I've, been, I've probably been there three or four times maybe, but probably one of my favorite cities. Yeah. I, the, 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 the layout, the general layout of the yeah. city is something that I really, really love, and I, I like to take a bike when I go around yeah. the city. Yeah, it's when I, uh, and that was the thing, it wasn't, you know, it, it was close enough that it, it wasn't that scary to go, but then it really seemed like a manageable city to move to. 100%. Um, and I didn't have to have a car, and, and it's also, it still has that Midwestern kind of hospitality feel, so I felt like the people were friendly there. Um, so I don't know, it just was a really nice transition for me. That's real. Uh, yeah. So what was it like when you um, finished that program up and now you're entering a new field yeah. world into the interior So there was, it's actually, it was great. I had, um, I heard about this position. It was an internship and I got an internship working for a firm. They were right on Michigan Avenue. It was a um, woman owned business. It was called, uh, it was two women, Lisa Simeone and Gina Deary. And they had just broken off from where they were and um, they were looking for an intern. So I was still in school, but I, I landed this internship with Simeone Deary Design Group. And they were, they were um, primarily hospitality design, so hotels and restaurants. Um, but they were just starting out, so they were still doing you're doing some residential kind of, you know, when you're starting out like that, you not necessarily take everything you can get, but you're looking, there's opportunity everywhere and you don't really want to, you know, leave anything on the yeah, table. Yeah, you don't leave anything on the table, exactly. So I started working there um, and they were just, they were phenomenal women. They were such great mentors and not only on the design side, probably less on the design side because our aesthetics really weren't aligned, but just on the way to manage a business and the way to treat people was just very inspiring to me. And I loved working there. I loved the people I worked with. But I knew that I always, I always hoped to be like the creative director of a, of a firm at some point. Um, and we, and that kind of came early on because I could tell that I had, I, 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 I climbed fairly quickly there. Probably because a couple of things I'd already worked, been in the workforce. So I was a little bit older. I think I was like 25 or 26 when I was working there. Uh, but I, I was always ready for the next thing. Like I was always asking for a chance to try something else. So after about four or five years, um, you know, I was just hearing, uh, I'd still read, you know, the Detroit News, the Free Press, and then I found a few great, um, you know, online blogs and magazines that, but that were kind of talking about all the stuff happening in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And it had just, it had kind of, Chicago had run its course for me. I think it had been five years at that point, and I just, decided that it made sense for me to start transitioning back to Detroit at that time. So. That's awesome. So when you, you, you know, you're checking out these blog posts, you're checking out, you hear things are happening back here in the D, and you make the decision to come back over here. Yeah. What did you, did you, did you immediately start your firm or did you? No, no, I didn't. I, uh, so there, it wasn't the greatest time to move back. It was in 2006, so it was just gotcha. the beginning of the decline. But um, 
it was funny, I, I was offered two jobs and neither one of them were in the, um, neither one of them were in the actual city of Detroit, they were in the suburbs, like, you know, like a lot of stuff here are, um, and so I turned them both down, and I said, I'm not going to take a job until it's in the city of Detroit, which is a little bit of a, a, little bit of a mistake, because I had already, like, uh, I was buying a loft in the city, and it was the first, it was this new condo development that was this loft, it was an old roofing nail factory, and I was the first, I was going to be the first condo owner in there, and I didn't, I didn't have a job here, so, I ended up kind of getting a little nervous and I ended up uh, doing a few contract positions for different architects locally. Um, and then I actually surprisingly ended up working for a super high-end furniture company selling furniture that's designed within reach, which they're, they're a huge company now. And they basically, hit, they've changed the way that people shop for furniture, especially they took all these like signature pieces, which was like the Herman Miller the Eames lounge chair, Knoll furniture, all these beautiful iconic pieces that really weren't that available to the public. You know, they were really more available to the trade, the people either in the business or on the corporate side. So Design Within Reach revolutionized the way that people shopped for modern furniture, essentially. And I got this job working for them, and it was a little bit, I was excited for the job because, I mean, it was, the pay was actually decent at the time, great benefits. But at the same time, I felt like I was kind of selling out because I was going into the sales side of like, the <laughs> design business. So, but I, I needed a job and I took it. And it surprisingly, um, I was there for two years and I learned, it's where I pretty much honed my, because what I do, you know, I mean, I'm a company now of our size. I am business development, I'm the sales guy. And I still attribute all of really the techniques that I've learned from that position. And not your typical sales techniques like, Exactly, nothing like that. Just learning how to talk to people and, and just having super casual interviews and what do you need? What are you looking for? And it hasn't changed really. So it's funny, this job that was a little bit of a taken out of desperation turned out to be what gave me the, the confidence to do what I'm doing now. So, that's really cool. Yeah. So I got laid off from that job and that's when I was like, well, there's no jobs. I just got laid off. No firms. I mean, architecture firms were closing all over town, mm -hmm. laying people off. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, it was 08. And uh, that's when I decided to start PTD, or Patrick Thompson Design. And I just was like, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And I, I, I saw a little bit of an opportunity in the market because so many people couldn't sell their homes, so they were staying in their homes. So I knew, you know, I used it as an opportunity. To, if people are staying in their homes, they decided to, well, we're not selling for a while, so let's make this house what we want it to be. Um, so I really bootstrapped the whole thing. I bartered design services um, with a friend to help design my logo. I bartered design services because all throughout all this, like even though I wasn't working for a firm, when you know someone that's an architect or a designer, all of your friends, all of your family are constantly asking for free advice and help <laughs> their homes and all this stuff. So um, I had bartered like a logo, a website, and photography for to start Patrick Thompson Design. And I remember I borrowed a bunch of furniture from Design Within Reach because I had still relationships there. And I staged that basement that I did for my parents and had my friends shoot it. So I created, I, sh I had my great loft down here and I had that same guy photograph the loft. Because mm -hmm. I collected, you know, I've always had pretty good taste with furniture and lighting and artwork. So I basically created these fake projects. They weren't fake, but they were just like, no one knew that it was my loft, it was my parents' basement. 
uh, a friend's store, and that's that's just where where it was born. I started my website like that. And then, building up. You're yeah, building up. I was content. It was, and that's what you need. You need content because, especially in this business where people are hiring you, it's a service-based business, but they're hiring you for um, your expertise. But you need to show them something mm -hmm. that shows that you are in fact going to be able to do what they're asking you to do. So. Um, yeah, so that was in 2009. When the first launched? That's when I, yeah, that's when I like officially, I think September 2009 is when I bought, I got my first tax ID number. And I joined IIDA, which is the International Interior Design Association. I joined the board, um, which I had no experience with any of that, but <laughs> I took this test that was called, it's called the NCIDQ, um, which is the equivalent of like the AIA boards for architecture. This is for interior design. State of Michigan doesn't require the license, um, but many other states in the, in the country do. And I just got as official, I just put everything I had into it. I even was collecting unemployment, and the day that I decided to start PTD, I, I, I canceled my unemployment without even my first project because I was I was like, I, I'm not, I cannot take. Burn the ships. I, I, it's, yeah, I had to do it, so. Yeah, that's real. Right. And then, so as you kind of got started, what were some of like the biggest hurdles and obstacles you guys had to overcome, like, at least at the beginning? Well, yeah, I mean, really, like getting your name out there and kind of figuring out how you're actually going to build some sort of portfolio or build a network of people that are that just need to know who you are. Um, number one, and then number two, really, as a small business, finding. You know, it was it was fairly gradual for me. It was me, and then I took the risk on hiring one intern for 15 hours a week at like eight or ten bucks an hour. Um, but you immediately learn some of the challenges of a small business, like is cash flow. Like someone, you know, someone doesn't pay you for 30 to 60 days, um, which is you know, it's fairly standard in the business. But you have to find money to number stay, one to stay afloat, to stay afloat <laughs> for yourself, but also for these people that you're trying to bring on. So. I mean, you know, and then you go to banks, and you and you think you walk into this bank thinking, "There's no way I'm leave, that I'm going to leave here without them giving me money." And look at all the success I've had. And when I say that, it means I made twenty six thousand dollars. <laughs> but in your head, you've started this business, and you're like, well, twenty six thousand bucks is a that's a lot of money that you've kind of that you've done, you know, that you brought in just all by yourself, right? Um, so really, that was the biggest challenge for the first probably five years of PTD was not being able to get any kind of um, small line of credit or business loan to help kind of you know get you started. So really it was pretty bootstrapped for the first five years. Absolutely. And then as you guys, you know, five years goes by and you guys, you know, start to scale into essentially what you guys have here today. Yeah. What was that like, that whole process of, you know, being a small sure. firm, um, you know, interior just design yeah. firm to now becoming what you guys are today. So um, Back to that kind of that idea between the website, the logo, and stuff. It, it, I think around 2011, 2012. So about two or three years into it, I had figured had to. It was time. To, you know, I, my basement was a full office and stuff, and I knew that I needed an address outside of you know your home office. Mm -hmm. um, so luckily, I, I hooked up with. It was at the time it was called the DC3. It was a trade court. Detroit Creative Corridor Center, okay. and Matt Clayson had started that, and it was it was a small little it was located inside CCS um, up in New Center. So I got my first co-working desk there, it was okay. seventy-five bucks a month, and I hired, nice. I hired an office manager to help me with the billing and then the day-to-day -day stuff, and then I had an intern, and there was just the three of us. But we had that Detroit address, and we were in the city. And at that point, I think once you've 
you've taken that leap, it does kind of say to people, this guy's legit. Yeah, that it, yeah, exactly. It does give like it, it, it shows that you're legitimate. And um, through the DC three, because it was like Matt Clayson had some. So basically, the DC three was trying to like bring like if a large scale um, advertising agency was coming here to work with Forrest, and a lot of times when they were looking for space or property, they would get in touch with Matt Clayson, who was at the DC three because he was creating this corridor, this creative corridor. Mm -hmm. So it really worked out. Matt was like, oh, well, we actually have a design firm locally here that works out of our co-working spot that could help you with that early space planning. So for us, there was two two initial projects. One was Skidmore Studio, which has uh, been a graphic and branding design firm in Detroit forever. Um, and then Goody Silverstein Partners. They had come from San Francisco to work with Chevy. And we landed both of those projects. And they weren't... Um, they weren't like crazy design fees, but they were some of the bigger design fees, the biggest design fees that we had ever seen. Gotcha. And that in a lot of ways, so now you're meeting people, you're doing this work, you're getting some legitimate clients, you're building a client list. Um, and then really, I'm trying to think, after, really the, the project that changed everything for us was there was an RFP that went out for Kresge Court at the DIA. And uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Brad Frost who, I think that that's the first time we met each other. And he was a fellow, and he was doing his fellowship at the DIA. And his whole concept was that he wanted to find a way, along with Graham Beale, the director, to redo Kresge Court to make it. Because I don't know if you've been there with Kresge Court. I've never been there, but uh, Nate showed me the whole thing. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, and it wasn't, though. I mean, it's always been beautiful. I mean, in terms of. The, the space, you know, it was the original courtyard of the museum and, it, and a roof got put over it. It's this gorgeous atrium, but it was just when it, it sat stagnant, if it wasn't used for like breakfast with Santa or a wedding, it was just a bunch of banquet table, banquet table, it was terrible, you know? Um, so Graham Beale and Brad Frost decided to make it, you know, the concept they wanted to create this cultural living room, is what their idea was. So we responded to that RFP and it was, it worked perfect because I have, it just was the culmination of everything. Like my, my, not only like beyond Massachusetts roots with my mom, like I have a ton of family in Wales. So we have a lot of British and English roots. And so we, we came up with this beautiful narrative for what Kresge Court would be with this kind of like hidden English garden within the museum. And it would be the grandest living room in all of Midtown. And so the, but, the, but at the same time we were honoring, um, the, the traditionalism of, of the architecture, but we still have the greats like Sarnin, who, you know, from Cranbrook and a lot of the, you know, the Herman Miller ties to Michigan. So we found this really, really nice balance of sculptural artistic pieces along with like traditional wingback chairs. And, you know, I wrote this narrative about how, how we were going to bring this to life. And we landed that project. And um, it was a transformative project for us when we did the. Kresge Court because not only did it get a significant amount of press, but I think it genuinely has um, made it such a large impact on number one the museum, but tons of people's lives. And that's and I know that sounds maybe a little bit grandioso, but it's been voted the best place for co-working, best place to get engaged, engagement photos, weddings, and stuff. Just because there is this certain beauty of being in the museum, but then there is a sense of intimacy and coziness and just beauty that exists there. So. 
That's a bit of a rant. No, that's but that was like transformative for us. You know, that was the really that was the project this this morning. Me and Nate were looking at some of uh, your work on the website. That was the one that caught my eye. Yeah, it was, uh, it's really really cool. And it just I mean, and right now we're helping them make some changes to it just because it's been seven years, and that's the cycle in hospitality projects like hotels and restaurants usually. Every seven years, some you know they take quite a bit of abuse. So we're looking at renovating, you know, not renovating, just doing some new finishes and furniture. In there, so. Gotcha. Have you have you found that you know, say at this point of your career and, and at the the age of your company, that business sort of gravitates towards you guys now, or do you find yourself still having to do a significant amount of outreach and? So that's a great question because right now, so for the last three years, you know, the majority of our work is word of mouth and reputation mm -hmm. um, and referrals. And I have found that we can stay exactly where we are probably with those with referrals, reputation, word of mouth. But in the past year, I've spent so far the majority of 2019 really focusing on how we are um, taking, taking our company and what we do to the next level. So growing outside of Detroit and also like growing in like the the size of projects, not necessarily the firm. I really we're ten people right now and it's a really nice size for us. It's, it's manageable. It, it it works well with my personality and with the type of work that we can go after. So I saw like with the numbers in the last I think 16, 17 and 18 they're, I mean, they, they continually did, there was a bit of a plateau there. Like, you know, I think 16 might have been higher than 17, uh, but 17 and 18 stayed pretty, pretty close. So really 19, we're on track to do almost 20 to 30% more just because we really, um, we've really ramped up marketing efforts and really, um, you know, the social media side of things is strong. You know, we have a really great social media presence. Um, and not to mention, we've been a lot better about doing our own company newsletter and just awareness of what we're doing. Um, but just getting the word out there and me just being a lot more, um, you know, after, you know, eight or nine years, the, it kind of, it's cyclical, right? When you're first starting off, you want to network all the time. You want to go to all these events. And then, you know, I've, I've had a family, you know, I have children now. So you kind of go into a little bit of this nesting phase where it's tough to go out all the time and attend events. And there's so much opportunity in the city of Detroit. You know, networking is, um, you know, that word is a little bit, I guess, cliche at this point, but <laughs> there's there's so many opportunities to go out and meet people and find opportunity with, you know, within local businesses and local business partners. And that, you know, you're doing this podcast on small, um, small businesses in Detroit. I should say that, like, the foundation of this company was built on my small business helping other small businesses and, and that's really where a lot of it yes you're looking for the big the big client or the big projects um, but really we have we're a boutique firm and generally it does gravitate towards other boutique businesses so like 17 and one bespoke which is the men's clothing store or oh, little, I like that project you guys did thank that. you that it's, was, a, it's a sweet vibe thanks I, I really we're really proud of that one and it, I mean and really the, the thing that makes us unique and special um, compared to a lot of the other like architecture design firms here is we we try to keep X amount of whether it's dollars or days or hours that we can spend so we're still in that small business space working with people because if you're opening up a clothing store in Detroit you don't have 
you don't you don't know what your construction budget is. You don't know what your design or architecture. You don't. You, you, no one knows. You know what I mean. So really, we have to educate a lot of them, and and then really finding a way that we can still give them great design um, and still have it make sense for us financially. Um, but that's really been kind of our sweet spot. So we tend to have 20 to 30 projects going on at, at, at all times, which is a lot for a 10-person firm, but it's because they vary in, in size and scale. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you talk to a business consultant, they'll say, you've got to quit wasting your time on those small projects, or you need to find your niche and only go to hotels, or only do higher ed, or, and that's just never been me, because my niche is design, that's our niche, is good design, thoughtful, caring design and truly using design to help people. That's you know? great. Can you actually, I want you, I'm interested in you expanding on the topic of people putting themselves in a box. Yeah. I think a lot of people tend to do that do. in terms of like, oh, I'm a designer, I'm an architect, I need to only focus on X, Y, Z. Yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I've seen, I've, I've seen other, whether they're peers or colleagues or people that I went to school with that, that have jumped from job to job because they, it happens really easily in this business. Whether it's you only, you know, if you go to a firm that does higher education, you only are doing higher education work. Um, or if you go to a firm and you're really good at rendering or really good at AutoCAD or really good at drafting, you will really quickly be put in a box and you will sit at your desk and do that one skill that you're really good at. And I knew right away, like, my attention span is not at work like that. So like I all, yeah, ton, I mean, geez, there's, you know, next to parenting, owning a small business, there's not much more opportunity for self-awareness than you could, you know. But I, I, I get bored if we just did the same thing. And uh, there's people that do that. If you want, and I mean, not you know, we're we are seventy percent hospitality design for hotels and restaurants. But what's nice about, especially now, hospitality. It's in everything we do. I mean, you've probably been, if you go into the dorm rooms at universities now, or go into like the community centers and or, you know the libraries, hospitality is everywhere now. You're seeing it in the furniture. You're you seeing it in the light. University of Michigan, right? Most of their buildings. That's they feel they feel like hotel lobbies. You know, even you know even what's happening. I know people like turn their nose up at Starbucks because it's corporate America. But if you look at Starbucks and you follow. They they're on the design they are on, and they're, they're adjusting. They're, oh, they're, they are, yeah. Something that you mentioned that I wanted to expand on a little bit, and kind of goes into the, the culture aspect that you mentioned about you know Starbucks and how they've adjusted with the ways. I recently read something about McDonald's is having huge issues with their franchisees with getting with the new because they want I think they they pretty much mandated all their stores do this that and that and that and that because yeah. I'm sure you've seen some of the interiors in McDonald's have yeah. adjusted now yeah um but it's interesting from a culture perspective how Starbucks I mean you see it's fluid oh yeah. everything is it's, it's really cool but yeah where I was going was back when you were in Chicago the firm you were with with the two ladies yeah um, it sounds like their cult their company culture and kindness is something that Really, really hard on. Can you kind of expand on that? At least yeah. for someone who's whether they're starting a company, sure. whether they're joining a company, and yeah. understanding the people that they're working for, how important is culture? Oh man, that's a. I mean, it's funny. I I still talk to Lisa Simeone, the woman who, um, in that firm now, they're a sixty-person firm. Damn. Six when I started, thirteen when I left, and sixty now. And I'm sure it's tough for them to have that same culture at 60, 100%. 56, and 13. 
But um, a couple of things. So our business is a service-based business, but it's still like this hourly business. So the architecture and design and engineering has this need to be to be billable, you know, because um, the times you're billable is how the company like is profitable, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and yes, that is important and that is part of the business model. But for me, the company culture. We hire for personality because skills can be taught. Like we are 10 people that sit in a big design bullpen and we spend the majority of our time together and we laugh a lot together. And I, owning a business, it's funny of the size because it's not like we have an HR department. It's not like we have an accounting. I mean, you're looking at the yeah, HR department. Um, but, but at the same time, like you have to realize, and what I that that culture. If you're clear about what the culture is with people, then people do. They can be comfortable and be themselves. And myself and other people, you know, we have a, a, another person that's my um, executive director, essentially the number two here. We kind of check each other a lot because if someone does something here that might immediately kind of, you know, you kind of taken aback by, you kind of real quick. It, it's a there's a lot of psychology that goes into owning a small business, mm -hmm. a lot more than I think people ever, excuse me, realize. And I think if you set, like I really am the one, I'm, I'm the one who sets forth what the culture is going to be. And I think um, the majority of our people have been here, and we have a really great team right now, and we're going on, we have people that have been here seven years, and I think our newest person is, well, we have one new person, but other than that, I mean, everyone's been here for at least three years, and I think that's because of the company culture. And I think that, you know, I took this seminar, and people people stay in jobs where they're happy. So I think in these businesses, people get treated poorly, or they are, you know, they sit in a corner and they're quiet and they're billable, but they keep just throwing money at them. And it does keep people for a while, but are you really getting the best version of what that that person can do? You know, because it's just not about the money. It, none of this has been about the money for me. That's since day one. You don't, want, you don't want employees who are on Friday can't wait to leave. You know? No, and I mean that I've had to adjust my uh, expectations there because you definitely think as the owner, like I live. Eat, breathe, sleep. Yeah, you can't expect and, the same. But, and you, you do start to be like, "What do you mean? Where are you going?" Like, what do you, you don't want to just, and that's been a big. Uh, and on the culture side, that's been interesting too. It's like when I started, it was like me and then one person and two people and three people. And you're like this little family. But at ten, we're still we're still a total family. But we're a family where people doesn't don't necessarily always want to hang out with dad. Which I've had to kind of like. <laughs> my wife is always like, they don't want you to go to happy hour. It's like the uh, the office <laughs> when uh, my going out. <laughs> yeah, I hate to think that I'm like Michael Scott. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, shit, I'm fucking Michael Scott. That's real. So, That's real. And, I don't know. Uh, before we kind of close up, what advice do you have to an aspiring? You could say, I wouldn't say necessarily entrepreneur, but you could say entrepreneur yeah. and or. Someone who wants to get into the architect interior design world. What kind of advice um, kind of would you have in that sense? I would, you know, um, God, it's there. There's this uh, it, whether it's a poem or it's kind of like this. It's not really scripture. It's a it's a something that was given to me a long time ago, and it's called authentic self. And it was all about everyone's got an authentic self in them, and we don't know we don't determine what it is. It was given to us. It, it, it it's inside us. And if you use what that what your talent is, whether you think it's God-given or science, whatever your belief is, if you use that talent to really 
do good and make a difference, then the money will come and don't take no for an answer because people will tell you, you should focus on this, you should do this, you can't do this, you're really good with numbers, my father was an accountant, you should be an accountant. You, know, you will be told every, every turn you make, someone will try to tell you what you should be doing and self-awareness comes to some people easier than others, but really spend the time and the self-care to figure out what is it you truly love. And, and I think that if more people did what they actually loved for a living, um, I think you just see a lot more smiles, smiles on the street and a lot, a lot happier people, you know? That's I, really, real. I mean, dude, I can just, I guarantee that, that I don't even, you and I just met, you know, we met one other time other than this, but it's so obvious that you were doing what you love for a living. It is so obvious from the way that you carry yourself when you walk through this door. That's it is. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you know, I mean, um, I have the greatest job in the world and it's not because it's interior design, it's because I'm using like what I'm good at. And I, on the design side, I still act as a creative director and have my hands in almost everything. Mm -hmm. But really it's on the business development side. And I have found that really my love of people and talking with people and problem solving and helping people, that's really my true love. And design is just the way, I mean, it's exactly what you're doing. I mean, this is problem solving for people with you putting this thing out there. That's right. I think so. it ultimately comes down to what you said, which is best is it's self-awareness. It is. It's, it's, it's the, uh, if I could will something on anyone in society, I think it definitely would be self-awareness. Because yeah. I think, I mean, someone like with a firm like this, you could just scale it up, hire a CEO, hire totally. whatever, just live on the beach for a for totally. life. That's yeah. not what you want to do. No, it's not. I, it's not. So, especially naming it Patrick Thompson Design. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really think that one Amazing having you as a guest on the show. Um, before we uh, head out, what's the best way for audience or anything to find more anything oh, out about you or sure. reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, PatrickThompsonDesign.com is our website. Um, social media, you can, I mean, I think contact at Patrick Thompson Design is our website. We're, we're all, you know, we're pretty easy to find. So if you just look us up. Um, but like I said, if anyone's interested in learning more, I'm happy to talk. I love, I love talking about. Um, what other people are doing, and I love talking, as you can tell, what I'm doing. <laughs> That's awesome. I, cool. I really appreciate you coming yeah, on the show. You. I appreciate you having me.